everybody, and welcome to the 126th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about board games and card games and mind games and all the other games you can play with little more than a kitchen table and a love of rules. My name is Quentin Smith and joining me are two folks who are absolutely crazy for rules. On the line is a man famous among Reading Police for repeatedly asking them what their favourite rules are. It's Tom Brewster. Their favourite rules are... Good rules. That's the police only follow good rules, right? Uh, that's I have never seen police follow a bad rule. Uh, and joining <laughs> us fresh from their shift in the rule quarries of Yorkshire, where new rules are tugged gingerly from the British soil, it's Ava Foxfort. Hey, yep, I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't. You do shouldn't. That. I shouldn't do uh, that. Do you? What is it like in Yorkshire? Do you get in trouble for doing a Yorkshire accent? No, I I do occasionally. Like what I found is when I've done work in an actual Yorkshire place, I come home, and even though I'm still speaking in like my classic Southern, I uh, end up with my internal monologue going into a Yorkshire accent, which Ooh. I find fascinating. Good. That's that's nice. That's nice. It's <laughs> nice. I, I I like to sort of see little bits of of British trivia into into America's into America's mind. America's waiting, soft, pliant mind. Hey, this episode marks the beginning of a brand new format for this podcast. We are now weekly. So every Tom is groaning because he's in charge of this. Uh, every <laughs> Friday, you can look forward to a new episode that'll be a little shorter than the old format, as well as a bit more focused. Which is why in this episode, we are going to be discussing just one game called Halatel. Uh, this is the new exciting big box from designer Uwe Rosenberg. And after we've chatted about Halatel, we're going to have a big old discussion about who this Mr. Rosenberg is, what he's doing, and whether we approve. Uh, I'm excited for that discussion, uh, partially because Tom has played basically no Uwe Rosenberg games. Two, to be precise. Uh, Okay, two. Two Uwe Rosenberg. And even more troubling, Ava has played all the Uwe Rosenberg games that I haven't. I thought you were going to say all the Uwe Rosenberg games that exist. And that would be frightening. No, no that no, is no. not true. That is definitely not true. <laughs> I don't think it's desirable either. <laughs> I mean, not because... Well, we'll get to this discussion. and We'll get to why I wouldn't want to play all of Uwe Rosenberg's games. But first, let's talk a little bit about Halatau. Hello, listener. Uh, Tom in the edit here. We had a few technical difficulties during the start of our Halatau discussion, and I couldn't find a good edit point. So uh, instead of making it feel weird and unnatural, I thought it would be a good idea to put an even weirder and more unnatural explanation segment in rather than just leave it alone like I should have. I'll probably put a weird sting in here, and then we could all go back to regular programming. Okay, bye. It's time for Halatau. Halatau is your archetypal Uwe Rosenberg in a number of ways. Uh, one of the ways that it's doing this is that you're doing what you are normally doing in these games, which is you've got a central board with an array of actions that let you grab things and objects for your beautiful farm on which you will be looking after sheep, looking after fields, looking after a collection of houses. Um, all of these things are pushing you towards as efficiently as possible getting the best points by getting the best things in the best possible way. That's Uwe Rosenberg. Halatau wrinkles the formula by giving you four boards for the different sorts of farming you're doing. You might be farming for sheep and moving them along the little board that will let you get things and some of them will die. Oh no, you don't want them to die too early though, do you? No. (laughs) 
one of the boards will give you gives you a whole a load of little storage rooms and then a whole array of fields which will slowly be getting more and more fertile like a sexy soily bar chart um and <laughs> another board is for keeping your jewelry in from your jewelry farm then finally the biggest most important board is all about this is what the game is all about everything else is about getting resources and getting these things from this central board and some of those things get you points on their own and there's a set of cards that gets you points but really most of your points are going to be coming from this giant little cottage called the community center that has a rack of different buildings beside it each of which have very specific requirements for what sort of goods you need to make them better which nudges them along to the right occasionally dislodging boulders i'm not even joking oh my goodness which lets you move the community center one step along which gets you some more workers or eventually a load more points uh, that was a really great explanation, uh, but I'm gonna. I have a lot of really nice things to say about Halatau. Um, and to clarify, Ava and I have played it. Tom has not. My number one problem with Halatau is not that I hate the theme, but but the theme could have been so much better. So Uwe Rosenberg, his main games about you know being a Viking clan or you know or just focusing on a farm. Halatau is a game of his that focuses on a very specific and frankly very dull region of Germany, along with his uh, another game of his called Fields of Arla. Um, because Halatau is trying to depict the, and don't, you two don't get too excited, the largest contiguous hop-growing region in the world, hop, hop being a, a plant that is grown for, for beer, but because they're using this specific region, the, the resources you get in Halatau are so dull. The things you grow are flax, barley, hops and rye which are the four kinds of of crop where i don't know what they do really and i still don't know what they do they all sound game of very Hansel. tasty okay well you know you can eat these things but i i don't approve <laughs> okay. um and so and then also you do as ava describes have this giant community center that you're trying to move and it just makes absolutely no sense <laughs> Like, to clarify, the way you move your community center and get more points is by moving five other buildings, like the carpenter, the brew house, the cooling house, and the bakehouse, and, and the manufacturer. And, for example, you move the cooling house by filling it with meat and milk. You move the carpenter by, you know, using bricks and grain. None of it makes any sense. Like, thematically or, you know, practically, it's, it's really irritating, and I just... I, I, Ava, I don't even care if you agree. I had to say that <laughs> so that we can move on to the things about Halatau that are good, which is the game. It sounds like what it is is a game that has a lot of potential because we look at boring themes in Euros and go like, yes, we want this. Because sometimes a really boring kind of dry theme you're making you know you're making beer in germany can be really exciting if it plays into that theme and like those boring resources are used in a way that like maybe teaches you something about the beer making process or is sort of like it has an internal logic this sounds like it's when the pitch is it's about halatau the largest contiguous hop growing region i'm like right it's a game about making beer and as far as i can see it's mostly a game about like making beer oh and also meat and also milk and also rye and also maybe jewelry and wheat and there's also sheep 100 percent. i would i would describe the game of halatau is an uve rosenberg game i do actually think you could basically swap its theme out with any other uve rosenberg game 
uh, and it, like it, you're, you're handling crops. You're dealing with some yeah. animals. Like uh, my problem with Halatau is that it's an Uwe Rosenberg game that happens to be set in a boring area, as opposed to a game about a boring area, which actually, weirdly, everyone on Team Shut Up and Down really digs. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty excited to learn more about Halatau and basically the thing that you get from this game if there's a message it's trying to get across is basically village life you need a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> if i learned one thing about halatau about halatau it's the halatau it's the region where everyone built their community centers in the wrong place and then had to laboriously drag them eight miles down the road which i don't think happened um but yeah goodness the game is great uh, would you like to go into a little more detail about the game over yeah okay so the first thing that is there that is uh quite different or at least a little bit different from other Uwe rosenberg games is that your workers are small little cubes and all of the spaces that you can take don't get eaten up by a single use so the first person to go there might only have to play one worker, but the second person would have to pay two, and the third person would have to pay three, and then that's your lot. That's all that anyone can do with that. These workers are slowly coming off the board, but not completely, and not as much as you want. So there's this, there's a little bit more. Most uh, Agricola and Caverna in particular, but a lot of a lot of these type of games, there's a big obvious the big thing that you have to do in order to win is get loads more get as many more workers as early as possible because it makes a much bigger difference whereas here you've got like little bitty workers and you do still want to get more but more doesn't make quite as much difference as it does elsewhere um Mm -hmm. and you've got this thing of like if everyone's focusing on the same strategy that strategy is going to be harder and harder to do um so you've got a nimbly duck and weave around the board and try and pick new things and work out whether it's worth spending three workers to do what exactly what you want to do or one worker to do like half of what you want to do (laughs) and there's lots of these little choices and that's really nice there's also like four big decks of cards um two of which are interchangeable for different like there's a beginner uh expert master set of decks for making the game slightly easier or harder as you are learning it and then there's some decks which are just about the types of crops that you're growing, um, which is tedious, but mixes up the game and makes it focus on one element of it a little bit more than it would otherwise. So there's a lot of uh, variety in here. And these cards are things that you can just do like whenever you want. I've got enough stuff to play this card, which means that from now on I'm getting this income. And all of these little wrinkly things to kind of push for in the short term and medium term to kind of like work out what you're going to do so that's all really nice before we move on from the cards i want to talk a bit about them because they're actually my favorite thing about this game um believe it or not um so as ava's describing you have four decks of cards at various spaces on the board as you send workers will get you new cards you'll start the game with cards the cards um do all kinds of things but basically the cards fall into this idea of either have i don't know something ridiculous like eight rye which you would never normally need that much rye but then if you do that you might get a permanent income of some other resource your fields might get better you might I get tons of victory points. And so Halatau, like all Uwe Rosenberg games, is a race where you're trying to get points. But then you quickly develop a huge fistful of cards for almost any turn in Halatau. And the cards are always coaxing you to kind of leave the racing line. It's like, you might need six rye this turn. So you're like, I'm going to grow six rye. But then you have a card in your hand that's like, oh, but if you get eight rye, you can discard this card and get some other benefit. So the cards were like, are these tantalizing, teasing little things where... If you don't really know what to do, you can look at your cards and they'll say, well, why don't you get some of this? That's cool. Um, But also the cards are just 
constantly asking you, are you willing to do this inefficient thing to get this reward that is printed on the bottom of the card? And I just found Halatau is a game I could never be bored or disengaged from because even if I knew what was happening on the board, if I spent enough time staring at my hands of cards, I'd start seeing new cool opportunities, mm. things I could do. I found it really, really foxy, a really cool system. Yeah, it's really nice. And it's really, it's really interesting that it's pulling you in those different directions because there are so many resources because there are like five different crops and various different animal products and like bricks like one thing you can't get from anywhere in your farm like you have to get it from something external because you've got all of these things they're all important and it you're trying to get bits of everything all the time but like actually there's this secret puzzle hidden within this community center and workshop thing which is asking you to have like very specific amounts of stuff at very particular times. And that puzzle of getting that is simultaneously this game's like biggest weakness for me and the best thing about it. Oh, you enjoyed that system. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you talk about, I'll tell you what, I didn't. Um, but to describe, to give the, the listener a specific example of what you're talking about. So um in each round oh goodness i i actually i can tell i don't like this system because i hate even having to try and teach it to tom <laughs> um so you have these five tiles which you need to advance all of them for your community center to move on automatically yes. right so let's take the carpenter well the carpenter has a thing printed on it that you can only move it with bricks and wheat but you can hey but whatever combination of bricks and wheat you use you have to pay more bricks than wheat right now what you also need to know about halatau is that in round one I, I might be getting this slightly wrong but in round one to move like the carpenter with bricks and wheat you can only pay you only need to pay one thing mm. which means you would pay like one brick in round two you would pay two brick because you can't pay one brick and one wheat because that's not paying more brick than wheat mm. which is the rule of the carpenter which means that in in every round not only did these five buildings you're trying to move get more expensive so you're incentivized to take your you know first run of crops and pour them straight into these buildings rather than you know using them to develop your economy further um but the some buildings are easier to move than others on certain rounds because as ava says bricks are harder to get than grain therefore it's more efficient to move the carpenter on rounds three and five oh, oh, oh. it's something like that but it, you've missed a bit which is why it does this and this is what gets you into like just an extra layer of head faffery yeah that's a polite <laughs> word than what i was going to say it's pure head faffery yeah. <laughs> um is that on from round four onwards or round three or four onwards you get a discount if you pay with two different goods <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, that's it. Or three different goods, you get a discount of two. So, But then you've got to work out, so if I can pay with that, then on certain rounds, I'm going to be able to pay with that. But actually, I'm not going to get the discount then because then I'd only be paying two goods, which isn't more one than the other. And it's this, it's a horrible little flowchart of maths misery hiding in plain sight in the middle of this game. And I hate it because it is this fiddly, nonsensy thing. But I also love it because it's the sort of thing that makes my head just tap out and go like, I'm never going to know how to do this precisely, so I'm just going to wing it, and I'm just going to try and make sure I've got lots of everything, and then we're going to work out as we're pushing along whether I've done well or I've done badly this turn. Yeah, and I do I do really like the boulder mechanic, so um, <laughs> I, 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 it's annoying it's a, because it's so dull. We really don't want to have to explain all of these mechanics, but we like them, but we also... So we're going yeah, to. Oh. I mean, well, I'm gonna, I'll explain boulders and tools because they are so... I, I like it. I like it, Ava. Um, so <laughs> at the end of every round, you have these 
10 boulders, which two of which always sit in front of every building, like the carpenter I was just describing. Uh, but they, they move forward. So at the start of every round, they're always two and four spaces away from each um, building. So if you move the carpenter one space, then that boulder that was on the next space will actually slide away from it. The purpose of these boulders is so that you can't push the carpenter, for example, five spaces in one round if you happen to in the first round, if you happen to have five bricks. The boulders are always going to make it increasingly hard for you to advance one building very far, even when it's efficient. Now, there's another resource in Halatau called tools, which I think brings the total number of different resources you're juggling in Halatau to maybe... Maybe something like 13 or 14, maybe if we're including like, the workers. Like, you know, 19 billion, you know, maybe. <laughs> I, I genuinely think it's 14 workers. Sheeps, flax, barley, hops, rye, clay, hides, meat, milk, wool, jewelry. We didn't start the fire. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, Okay, uh, where was I? Yeah, okay, so tools are a resource you can get. And the purpose of tools, let's say you get a tool. If you, ha if you acquire a tool, you can, at each round, use that tool to move one boulder once further down the track. So tools are a resource you don't need if you move every building once each round. But if you get uh. tools, you can start to bend the rules of this and be like, okay, I, I actually managed to amass four tools, which means every round I can pick a building and push it super far. So it allows you to specialize. It's in, it. It's interesting. I've never been so interested by a boulder, except in a feast for old, a feast for Odin, which is another Uwe Rosenberg game. Man loves boulders. Uh, man loves boulders. Uh, okay, I think I think I've described everything I like about Halatau, so I can shut up. I want the bottom line because I've never heard. Well, I have heard, but I've not heard recently. You two to be this sort of mixed on a game when you started speaking about it i was like oh okay understood halatau bad game and then as you keep going on it's like oh maybe halatau good game which is what it sounds like now but with bad bits i mean we haven't even talked about crop rotation uh, <laughs> i feel like i'm back in school and i'm in a really boring lesson the crop rotation <laughs> in this game is so cool it's so cool it's so cool all right, you can tell me about crop rotation. <laughs> Ava, would you care to describe? Right, okay. So this is what I talked about with there being like a little bar chart of fields on your board. So you start off with some fields and they're in different rows going up um, as they start. Now, when you plant a crop onto one of these things, it you use one single crop and it goes onto the field wherever it is. When you take stuff off the field, it goes along into the adjacent shed which means that you get as much as there was fertility so to speak or the height of the bar chart in those things but 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 that's that's nice because you're getting more than you put in every time you get something out but if you leave a field empty for a round it will bump up and become better uh... whereas when you harvest it bumps down and becomes worse and like that's such a it, while it may not sound it, that's such a simple way of getting across this kind of like a whole nother puzzle for you to get lost in of like, what's more important? Waiting around, do, it, do I need this right now? Or would it be better to have loads of five fields next round? And bear in mind, you're adding into this, like with the with the carpentry shed that Quinns is trying to move five spaces along, there might be, you might have a card in hand that's like, oh, if one of your things is five, five spaces ahead of everyone else, mm. you get a load of bonus points. And with the fields, oh, if you can get all of your fields into level five, you get a little treat. Um, and there's so many of these things and so many of these different mechanics like 
slotting together and working. I think it's a good game. It's a good game. It's a good game. It's not that complicated. Um, it, it kept me fascinated. To clarify, I've only played this game with one player, and the solo mode is great because you don't change any rules. You just play it alone. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're is, just clearing away is... less workers every turn, basically. So it's yeah, um, yeah. and that's the um, same for every player count. There's a different number of workers that you're getting rid of. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's. Unless you play it with a full four players, at which point you get rid of a row of workers from yeah, everywhere, yeah. every round, which is cool. Um, so, Tom, you asked bottom line. Bottom um, line. Bottom line. Um, I, I'm going to mention something we haven't mentioned up to this point. Um, Halatau is eighty pounds. That's a um, lot of pounds. Yeah, so it's one oh. of those big box Uwe Rosenberg games like um, A Feast for Odin, which I will definitely talk about later in this podcast, or um, Caverna, um, where, you know, these boxes are just absolutely full of cardboard and beautiful wooden tokens. Um, and you do get your money's worth, you know, the box is heavy, it like, it weighs easily twice as much as a, you know, normal £40 board game, if not more. <laughs> um but it's eighty pounds, you know, and I, I, I find I come to this conclusion a lot working for Shutterbirds Down recently. But um, if you ask me, would you rather have Halatau or two board games, any two other forty-pound board games? I would choose two other board games. Mm. Um, I don't know, I don't know. I'm really torn on that, and I think that to a large extent, you're right. It is, it's a little bit too pricey um, for what it is. But there is so much stuff in that box. And the yeah. thing about the stuff in that box is what we probably haven't got across because we're talking about this using our mouths and your ears is that <laughs> everything in this box makes this game easier to understand. Like for a game that is, you know, there's other ways they could have done the crop rotation. There's other ways they could have done the community center. There's other ways they could have done it that probably would have involved less cardboard, less pieces, less bits. All of them actually give you like really strong like visual mnemonics for what you are doing and what you're trying to do and what you care about and what's important and what's not and I think that that's very clever and I think mm. it is it's such a solid box for that like I think that yeah. I think it's actually the thing of like if you've got no Uwe Rosenberg games in your collection I don't know if I would recommend this but if you've got like a couple of the big meaty heavy fiddly ones and you don't get them to the table very often but you really like them and you'd like something that's in that direction but a little bit easier to teach to people a little bit easier to explain and that might be like your first step into the world of like really dense uve i think this it hits that spot almost perfectly like i think it's much simpler than it deserves to be for the faff that we've already described um, and I think that's all down to those components. And I think it's got some really clever components inside. Except, except one thing that I have to say, actually, is that, like, this is one of those games that is very, very nudgeable. <laughs> and if Oh, if, did you find that? Yeah, I, I kept on losing track of where exactly my buildings were because they would get knocked ever so slightly off track and I couldn't remember whether I'd pushed them or not. And, like... Oh, it's it, it, I'm 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 a bit clumsy fingered in general, and like oh my word, it did make this more fiddly. So if you have any kind of like mobility or hand difficulties, um, I would really. It's not a good game for that. It's not a good game for that. So you may mm. want to steer clear on that account. Yeah, we're not talking about 
uh, sort of terraforming Mars level nudgeability where that is just like you nudge the table and the, it's a game loss for everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can I can see that. I, I like that conclusion. Um, I do think that I think Halatau is good, and this this is probably a good time to move on to our featured discussion of this podcast, which is who is Uwe Rosenberg. And what's he doing? Um, so <laughs> that's so threatening. <laughs> it's actually. I mean, I'll, I'll wear my references in my sleep. That's a Spinal Tap reference. Oh, okay. We don't know who the Druids are or what they were doing. Um, but um, I think I, I really do like this format that we've accidentally invented for this podcast because Tom hasn't played um, many Uwe Rosenberg games, but Ava and I have, and Ava and I have opinions on the man. So but as a way for you, dear listener, to introduce you to Uwe Rosenberg and to discuss his work, the format that this is going to take is Ava and I are going to try to convince Tom to play our favourite Uwe Rosenberg games, which means this is kind of a discussion where there, there may well be a winner because Tom can, can announce which mm. Uwe Rosenberg games he's the most excited to play. So much power. Absolutely. I can't believe we've got a game show format for the new year. We kind of do. We kind of do. As long as Tom doesn't play a lot of classics, we can do this with other designers as well, like Stefan Feld and Vlad Akvato and I mean... Tom, yeah, stop playing great. board games now. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> right, so um, I don't know. Should we... I mean, I almost want to toss a coin to give this a kind of sporting vibe. Okay, I've got my my uh, USSR Yuri Gagarin medal uh, that my wife got me uh, as a Christmas present. Ava, pick Yuri Gagarin's face or a Soviet symbol? Uh, a Soviet... No, Yuri Gagarin's face, obviously. It's a Soviet symbol. Oh. I would like you to go first. Okay, okay, Ooh. okay, okay. We're kicking off with like my absolute, my actual absolute... No, wait, no, we're not. We're not, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going for my favourite. We're going to go for my favourite in a little bit, but we're going to go for what used to be my favourite, specifically because it's another game based on a very specific region of Germany and it is great. Tom, tell can me. I tell you about The Glass Road? Please tell me about The Glass Road. Okay, okay. So The Glass Road was this place in Germany where sand <laughs> okay. and heat existed in the right proportions to enable loads of people to do glass blowing, and that's Ooh. cool. But do you uh. want to play a board game about glass blowing? Yes. Yes. It utilizes its theme in an exciting and interesting way. I mean, not really. It's just another way of having, like, oh. you need a load of resources to do certain things. But oh. <laughs> Glass Road is great. And that okay. is because it replaces all of this traditional worker placement faff and this kind of idea of, like, oh, there's a central board where you've got actions. Instead, everyone has a deck of cards, each representing a person with an associated action. And at the beginning of the rounds, you take out from your deck, you take five cheeky little cards and you look at their little cheeky little faces and you put them in front of you and you say, right, I'm going to try and do these things this round. But mm. there's only but. three turns in the round. So why do you oh. pick five cards? Well, ha ha. Uh -huh. That is because I've always assumed this is that like, if someone ends up coming to this bit of town, they generally get like mugged by various people trying to get them to do work for them. If someone else plays a card on their turn to do the action and it's a card that you have in your hand, mm. not the one that you've chosen to do this turn, weirdly, uh, you get to do the action too. And both uh -huh. of you have to pay the cost, but both of you only get half of the stuff on the card. Whereas Ooh. if you do it and no one else picks the same thing, you 
get both of the actions and that's great wait that, this isn't fair i wasn't aware there were uve rosenberg games that had like fun mechanics <laughs> that's because you weren't looking on the glass road um no and it's 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 great it's really smart it's like almost a little bluffing game of like what are you going to go for what do you think other people are going to go so you've got this completely unique mode of player interaction um happening here and also this little fuzz in the machine of you don't mm. know whether you're going to be able to do the thing you want to do or the whole thing or half of it. So you've got a plan for like multiple different scenarios. And there's this ideal turn where you get to use your three cards fully and two the other two things half because someone else has done them. But sometimes right. you don't really want to do them when someone else does them because you were waiting to do it later. And it's, oh, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. It's lovely. It does sound like it takes a lot of the pressure off. Like one of uh, my biggest problems with board games in general is that I'm I'm not very clever. <laughs> so when I'm faced with a really complex interlocking puzzle, hmm. I often just go like, well, someone else that's really smart could probably get a lot out of this, but me, I'm thick. And this sounds like a game a game that definitely takes the pressure off of a player to kind of be super super overanalyzing because of that amount of fuzz. My question is whether that kind of system would be really irritating if you could have that perfect turn and you have it snatched away from you when when someone does an action they don't even want to do <laughs> tom i could not have said it better myself this is so similar to a mechanic in another game alexander fister's broom service um where if another person picks us basically it's a similar mechanic and when it when what you're describing happens i find that so obnoxious that i have literally never played <laughs> another a second game of broom service <laughs> I hate like Euro games where, you know, I'm meant to come up with some perfect plan and do all this crunching. And then it's like, oh, but no, you're not going to have the turn you want because of someone else's brain. No way. I don't, I don't know. I think the cards are really carefully balanced. So I think that you're normally only expecting to do one and getting the extra win as a bonus. Like you never lose everything. Okay. You sometimes have to do things slightly out of order. You sometimes have to do things, but it, slows down it brings back towards you the horizon of the game and lets you be like right okay i can't plan too far ahead i've got these options i've got to make sure those five options are solid and then you've got a little micro puzzle of how you're actually going to play the turn and whether you can actually get what you need out of it and it i don't know it's i think it's really really nice and that's not even all that there is here there's also all of the buildings you'd expect with all of the weird combos one-off powers uh unique actions that you can do for the rest of the game and end game scoring and there's these lovely little resource wheels i mean if you ever end up with one of every resource of the well there's two different wheels so one's got five resources the other's got five resources on it if you end up with one of all five you rotate this tiny little wheel and it means instead of having five different things you've now got one thing a bit of glass or a brick <laughs> <laughs> honestly i i love this for like having a really um it's got a really interesting thing to it because it starts it's got an interesting curve to it that's the word i'm looking for it's got an interesting curve to this because it starts off and it's all a bit fudgy and you don't know quite what you're going to do and you quite how you're going to do it and then about like two-thirds into the game you realize you've got like a meticulous perfect plan for what's going to happen yet and you know that it can't happen because it's almost impossible to get that perfect mm. turn. So you've just got to work out how you're going to squeeze the most out of the thing. And I think it makes people play faster. I think it makes people have more fun. That's what I was thinking is that 
it's it sounds like a game that you get the most out of if you have an attitude change (laughs) (laughs) yeah um like if you look at it at a way where it's like you have a baseline turn that you will definitely be able to do and that's what you crunch on and then everything else is a pie in the sky it might happen it might not but if it does then it'll be really cool I I'm ex- I'd like to play this well, one day. Sounds you don't good. you don't have to, Tom, because there are other Uwe Rosenberg oh. games, um, <laughs> ones that don't involve you know you staying in places in Germany which no one has ever heard of and no one has ever cared about except for oh. Uwe Rosenberg's family. I, I, there are better themes than the game I'm about to describe, but what if I were to say you could go to magical Norway? What if you could go to a beautiful fishing town known as Nusfjord, which has these gorgeous mountains in the background, really idiosyncratic red buildings, and best of all, Nusfjord is absolutely rammed full of old people. That's right. It's it's just jam-packed full of the olds. And the, what you're going to be doing in Yusfjord is all your traditional Uwe stuff. You've got a personal board where you're going to be clearing forests and building buildings and uh, and you're going to be using the lumber to do things like build ships. And you expand a fishing fleet. That's right. A, a more evocative mm. pair of words than Ava said in their entire description of Glass Road. Uh, as you build a fishing fleet, you're going to get fish and you use fish to feed the olds who live in Nusfjord. Oh. And the olds, because they've lived full lives, they know how to do stuff. And you can lure olds to your section of Nusfjord <laughs> and then they will give you bonuses in doing things because they know how, because they have the wisdom of the olds. I really like the idea that the game does refer to like citizens, people as the it olds. It doesn't. It really <laughs> doesn't. It, it definitely doesn't. But... What's cool about Nusfjord <laughs> is it's not as expensive as a lot of the Uwe Rosenberg games we've been describing. It's also a lot simpler. And I think that really threw a lot of Uwe Rosenberg fans when it first came out um, because, you know, the rulebook's smaller. It's really quite a straightforward worker placement game with a lot of really interesting wrinkles to do with fish harvesting and feeding old people. Um, but it's also very, very tight. And so when you were describing to Ava, you know, oh, I, I, I struggle, I'm not very clever. Well, maybe rather than playing... A, a big game that sort of tries to hide how clever people are. Maybe you just need simpler games. Simpler, perfect little games mm. like Nusfjord. That is making me feel more stupid, which which I do I do not appreciate, <laughs> but thank you anyway. <laughs> I feel like this is cheating as well because like Nusfjord is like absolutely one of my favourite of his games and I absolutely <laughs> love it. And I think it's brilliant. Like you have any I I just love there's a real narrative to the actions you're taking in this in this place like so this idea of collecting your elders but there's also there's a little banqueting table set up in the community center and this isn't like Halatau where everyone has their own community center therefore why why is it called the community center isn't this a community you were sharing no right Nusfjord, you've got this little banqueting table that you slowly fill up with fish and those fish are the only fish you can use to feed the elders so they're the ones that you need if you're going to activate the elders. So you've got this lovely actual community thing where there's a resource in the middle that is kind of going in and out of how much of it is available based on how many people are willing to actually fill it up. And that's such lovely little storytelling and it's such a lovely little economy. And it's uh, I think yeah. lovely little economy is a great way to describe Newsfield. Like one of the really simple things mm. it does that's quite unusual is players can... There's very little rules I've had to do with this, but they can buy shares in one another's fishing fleets. So for a, a bit of money, I could buy a share in, you know, Tom's fishing fleet, and then I get like one fish every every single fishing phase. And 
mechanically that's not particularly interesting but socially it's great like to have multiple shares of one player and then every, like at six or seven points during the game just take two of their fish from their wonderful bountiful fish income just feels really <laughs> cute Newsfield is about as well it's not as cute as uwe rosenberg gets um because patchwork exists but it's just good it's just good uh ava should we limit ourselves to one more each can you do that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thankfully, because you did Nussfjord, okay. <laughs> I don't have to do Nussfjord, so that, that that eases things up a bit. Right, okay. Tom, Tom. Hello. Let me just tell you a story about no place in Germany, not a place in Norway, a place <gasps> in France. Oh, he likes places, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he does like places. Um, Le Havre is a it's a much older game than I think most of the ones we've been talking about. Possibly Glass Road was a little bit after it, but this is probably going to be the oldest one we talk about. Um, and it is it is a worker placement game, but it was a worker placement game that sucks all of that. Well, deconstructs the notion of what a worker placement game is even before mm. they existed. In this game, you only have one worker. Mm-hmm. one single worker that you are moving around to buildings to take actions however those buildings don't exist to begin with you have to build them or buy them and take them off the board and into your array in front of you and you will those each of those buildings is one of the worker placement spaces and you'll have a little row of buildings on your little jetty in front of you um and so will your opponent and sometimes you'll have to use theirs and sometimes you'll have to use yours and if you use someone else's you've got to pay them some food to do it if you use your own you don't have to pay anything because you will live there okay that's the worker placement bit of it you're slowly building up this you're slowly building up this piece however on every single turn you're moving a little ship down the central river um and that will tell you ah there's a little bit more wood there's a little bit more clay now that's nice isn't it Yes. Those little bits, instead of moving your worker, you can just choose to grab a pile of bits from the table. And you're kind of there and you're kind of like, oh no, I'm going to do this now because there'll be more bricks in a turn or two. But then someone else takes the bricks and that's annoying. Also, every resource you get in this can be flipped over to a more fancy size. You've got some fish. That's nice. That's worth the food. Smoke them fish. <gasps> you got smoked fish. <laughs> <laughs> You pull, out, you pull out some clay, you can turn it into bricks. You've got some iron, you can turn it into steel. All of these little transmutations let you make things be more useful as food because at, ev- at the end of every patch of the river, you've got to feed your entire family, which is constantly getting bigger because that's what families do. And what, oh. the core of it is just this little... And, and you're doing it... Oh, oh, oh. Every turn, you don't know whether it's worth grabbing a big pile of things or taking the action you want to do. What's better? We're leaving it to pile up more and more. Or it's like a little tempting push your luck game. Do you think if you don't take the iron now, is it going to get to three iron in there? Or are you going to have to wait for someone else to take it? All of that, plus boats. (laughs) (laughs) You get to build boats, Tom. (laughs) And you get to send all of your goods shipping far away on these boats. And all of them are worth different bits of money and you've got to make sure you've got enough coal to fuel the boats or you might have turned that coal into coke, in which case you probably don't really have to worry much. But how long did it take you to get that coke? Coke is in like refined coal as as opposed to coke. Oh, that's way less exciting. Little red tinnies. Um, (laughs) 
Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 this huge smorgasbord of stuff. There's so many bits. And the core of a turn is so simple because it's you move mm. your little boat along. That means there's more stuff in the central pots and you either grab something from that pot or you move your worker to a building. And initially, there's like three buildings and all those buildings do is build other buildings. <laughs> and that's all you've got available to do. So it's nice and true. But you slowly start pouring through this deck and then you've got like suddenly you've got a church that will turn bread and fish into more bread and fish what that's what the or, church does like the like the bible <laughs> yeah 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 um, oh that alone is selling me quite confidently it's, it's on got that. a lot of little character in it in it um the board is one of the ugliest game boards i've seen in all time uh, but the cards, which are what you're actually looking at, the cards that you're looking at, which you lay out into a little pier in front of you, is are gorgeous. Like they're really lovely. The little tokens are delightful. Like you just like flip them over and you get big stacks of them. Oh, if if you like games, like Uwe Rosenberg is a man who makes games about collecting things and being efficient and turning them into other things and getting a load of points for doing it. If you like that, I don't think there is a game that has more things, more taking, more efficiency, more stuff than Le Havre. I haven't played Le Havre, but I've heard from you and also previously Tom Vassell that um, people think it's the best Uwe Rosenberg game. It's my favourite. It is. It is my favourite. I like. I love Glass Road. I love Nusfjord. I think Halatau might be around that same level for me, but I'm not quite sure yet. I, I'm not sure it's got the lifespan. Uh, but Tom, before you commit to Le Havre, uh, Ava, this is very embarrassing for you, but you've made a mistake because none of these are are, are the best Uwe Rosenberg game. The best Uwe Rosenberg game is a feast for Odin. Uh, it's 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 true, Tom. Tom, get ready. I'm ready. Have you played Have you played Tetris? Yeah. Have you made yourself a, a Have you fed yourself or your family or your friends at any point? Yeah. What if you could combine <laughs> those two things by having a kind of, if I call a feast for Odin Viking economic Tetris, mm. that is both an insane sentence and more accurate to what the game is than you would ever believe. So. <laughs> A Feast for Odin, the DNA that it shares with other um, Uwe Rosenberg games is that you're building up an economy, you're developing incomes of things like, you know, beans, and you want to collect two animals because then they start breeding and producing more animals. Um, and, you know, you're doing all this to get victory points. But it, it's very unique among, well, I guess it's not because you've played New York Zoo, right? I Which have. is also an Uwe Rosenberg game about slotting different tiles of different shapes yes, into yes, a yes, grid yes. to fill the grid. So A Feast for Odin is that, but also combined with just this insanely heavy and rich economy. It also has the most in preposterous worker placement board you've ever seen. You can go whaling, you can go raiding, you can build sheds, you can grow beans, you can... Like, there's something like 90 or 100 spaces that are all grouped roughly by type, so your brain doesn't start dribbling out of your ear. <laughs> you know, so if you know that you might want to go and get some rocks and wood, you know the area of the board to look at, and then it's like window shopping. You're like, you can send one worker to get a bit of wood or four workers to get tons of wood, that kind of thing. Um, but with all of these resources you're getting, whether you're raiding and collecting, you know, like crucifixes from England, or whether you're growing beans and putting them in your shed, the core of the game really is getting resources, which are all different shaped sort of tiles. So like, let's get a crucifix. It is literally shaped like a crucifix. And then you have to try and figure out how to best put that 
onto your grid or into your grid with the with there being hierarchies of resources so for example the lowest quality stuff like the beans i keep mentioning beans and fish and fruit and stuff those tokens are good but but basically the lower grades of resources can't be put next to each other whereas the higher grades of resources like gold and and stolen stuff from um, christian england can be put anywhere so you're doing this kind of juggling puzzle of like sort of putting beans down and then covering them with metal and then you can put more beans on top and then also as you fill these grids unlike new york zoo it has stuff like there might be rocks or beans on your board and then if you fully surround them without covering them you get that resource every single round a feast for odin is is almost too big i I say that because it is too big and yet it somehow works um every time i sit down to play this game i end up pursuing different strategies Every time I sit down to play, I'm in awe of how satisfying I find it to slowly fill more and more and more empty grids with more and more and more belongings. It's like a hoarder simulator. Right. And it's the perfect Sunday afternoon game because it is like three hours or four hours almost. And every minute in those four hours is satisfying. I I, I want to know if I've convinced you, Tom, but also I want to know if Ava agrees. I think it's all right. <laughs> 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 I just I like I, I I think it's a really it's a really solid game. I just was not inspired by it. Like I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'd like to try it again because I think that I may have not given it the fairest of shakes. Um uh just in terms of like i think i've only played it once and i was tired and in a pub that oh i I wouldn't play it in a pub but like i don't know also just as long as we're talking about theme you know you're recommending games like newsfield and glass road where you might cut down a tree and then build a community center a feast for odin is the only uve rosenberg game where you can go and kill a whale and put its bones in a house (laughs) and then if you do just the right job of that and fill that house except for the beans in the corner that house will start generating basket after basket of beans for you to put wherever you want and that can be in your vikings mouths because that's another mechanic you've got your vikings but you can send them away to live in places like america and then there's less vikings to feed because you sent them away in a boat but maybe you needed that boat to go raiding and oh no what are you gonna do now like too much i feel physically I'm looking at a picture. I'm listening to the words. I feel physically queasy, like a Viking that's eaten too many beans on the boat to America. This game is sounds like too much. It is too much. Surely it's too much. Listen to me. Listen, listen. I'm Here's my final thing on why it's so good. It is too much, but it's there in the name. It's a feast <laughs> for Odin. It is, I candidly believe this. That is a great title for a game, which is literally like the feast of Uze Rosenberg games. Is Glass Road the glass of Uwe Rosenberg games? No. <laughs> is the harbor the harbor? No. They're all just Uwe Rosenberg games. This is an Uwe Rosenberg game with character. It's distinct. The theme, what you're doing, the style, the title. It stands on its own, as opposed to just another Uwe Rosenberg game in his canon. I like all these, okay. This, this, all, this whole conversation, I don't mean to put a pin in the last however many minutes of of chatting or bursting the bubble as it were but this whole conversation reminds me of that part of the office where one of the characters gets asked management needs you to tell us the difference between this picture and this picture and they say they're the same picture because every single one of these games i've opened a picture and gone yep (laughs) if this was a dark room these are the same game, right? Like fundamentally, yes. they feel... Well, no, no, because no, because no. If, I think I truly believe that. Oh, I truly believe that a feast for Odin feels more unique well, than this. Is the thing, right? Is that I'm actually in. Okay, am I right in this assertion 
I'm the standard for the listener, and I hope this is what the listener's feeling right now, which is, Le Havre is the simplest, the most refined. Glass Road is the weird cousin. Nusfjord is the distill, the, like, the, the, the verging on more, but not quite going over the edge. And then a feast for Odin is the whole hog, and Halatau sits somewhere between Nusfjord and a feast for Odin. I think Lahav is almost as much of the hog as Feast for Odin. You think Lahav is a, is 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 full hog? Everything else you said was was right, but Lahav is not simple. But Lahav, it sounds like then when you're weighing up the two, Lahav sounds like it's not simple, but the complexity comes on top of a very basic turn structure. Yeah. Whereas in Quinn's whole description, not once did I hear. A, a lick of simplicity. I just heard complexity on complexity. So wait, wait, wait. No, listen. You're correct from what I said, but the interesting thing about a feast for Odin is that it's when I talk about you know you can have beans or go raiding or have pets or all of the the reason feast for Odin works is all of those systems actually work in the same way. If you get a horse or a crucifix or a sword or a bean, <laughs> all of those things are essentially tetrominoes that then fall onto your board and you can put them somewhere. <laughs> So the only real difference is the shape and the theme, which means A Feast for Odin, weirdly, is a game of doing what you want. And that's kind of why I describe it as a Sunday afternoon game. La Havre, when I hear about it, is like, that is a game of trying to get points and its complexity is is trying to get points in the best way. Whereas A Feast for Odin is like a slow boat down a lazy river. It's like, maybe this game, I will get pigs. Why? Is that because it's the most efficient? No, it's because I want to get pigs this game. I feel like A Feast for Odin is weirdly almost... It's hardcore and kind of casual in the same time, which is why I think I keep going back to it because there's not another game in my collection that quite does that. I tell you what, Ava, I will play La Havre if you play A Feast for Odin again. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Let's actually put our harbours where our mouths are. <laughs> and I will play both of them with both of you nice. because the winner of this discussion is Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> Hey! Because <laughs> we haven't talked about two of the, the the two Uwe standouts of Patchwork, and Tom, I believe that there is one Uwe Rosenberg game that you're a about. Bonanza! It's the best game ever made, and it wins the discussion. Do you actually genuinely want to go and play Bonanza now more than you want to play any of the things that we've just talked about? No. Careful. <laughs> okay. Good. But that's because of the novelty. <laughs> of these new things bonanza it's been my been by my side since day one i walked into eclectic games reading a very good board game shop uh in reading town and the nice man said how about this game about beans and i said yes please and i've been playing it ever since oh, bonanza was it your first game no no okay, it was okay. one of them though yeah. i said i want something that's quick and it's family weight and it's and it's fun. And he went. Hang on, but, hey, Bonanza. Please look, but can just for the listener at home, <laughs> before you get into this, as the person imagines Bonanza as you describe it, Tom, I want them to know they have to imagine the ugliest card game <laughs> ever made, and then make it even uglier. Oh, it's so but ugly. That's why it's great because it makes you want to be a bit sick when you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Bonanza, I, I, I don't even want to talk about it. I like, I just want to put it in there as a joke, but, but also maybe I do want to talk about it. I'm conflicted because I think that, are you guys, are you two gaslighting me in saying that Bonanza isn't actually really good? Because I think it is really no, good. No, no, right? Bonanza's great. 
Bonanza okay. Bonanza is absolutely great and I think that this is an interesting thing about Uwe Rosenberg is that like two of his best games are the games that are nothing you know we've talked about a load of games that actually have a load of things in common like the things about like all 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 of them will have a thing that you can do that makes you more efficient at doing something later on that means you're converting this thing into that thing which gets you more all of them are basically the same kind of structure of games Patchwork and Bonanza not that and they are both oh my god they're nearly perfect i think that's the thing is that i'm looking at halatau maybe and i'm thinking that i don't know how you know the purpose of looking at we looked at all of these games and all of these games do they present incredibly similarly they have a lot in common and halatau looks like a further refinement or distillment but also some things go a little bit awry of that those same design choices uh- you know, I, I, Ava and I have not described all of your Rosenberg games, but just the classics. Sure. Uh, in, and so I, I, I think, I think choosing out of all the games we've discussed in this podcast to go with Halatau would not be the right call. I, I maybe like it a little less than Ava. Oh no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that Halatau is. It, it's just interesting. Like I think that Halatau to me if I was someone that's played like a ton of Uwe Rosenberg games, would be disappointing because it's because it's not breaking from tradition and because it's trying to evolve from those same things in a way that isn't necessarily that exciting? Well, the weird thing about Uwe is that mechanics that you find dull in some games then get regurgitated and appear in other games. So, like, you know, Halatau, the, the sort of... The, the recipe fulfillment in Halatau where you need to, you know, provide some rye and some wheat to move this thing forward. That was in a quite disappointing Uwe Rosenberg game called Rayholt. Mm. So what I like when I see Halatau is, like, that card mechanic that i got really excited about that is definitely going to be in a future of a rosenberg game and i might like it better when it reappears sure. but this this is kind of the weird thing about you know playing a lot of his games as a designer is all of his games are kind of experimental but they're all kind of familiar mm. it's probably why i get so grumpy about them all being set in weird areas in germany because i feel like that denies them the opportunity to stand like on their own sure because it does it sounds like the most exciting ones the ones that are stand out by the sound of things are the ones that are set in they a have a slightly stranger setting or b have a sort of weird twist on the formula like glass road ava's first choice just sounds so fascinating by virtue of being what you'd expect perhaps from a new rosenberg game but with that scintillating little twist to the formula that makes it unfamiliar yeah i think so either way gang i'm i'm desperate to play some uve now i'm hype <laughs> i'm pumped well, to uve you've succeeded we we've done our job we've inflated you like with our words that are like a bicycle pump in inflating your brain with with i'm like a giant uve balloon and off i go into the sunset ready to feast on odin wait tom before you float away i have to end the podcast by yelling into your mic from a distance bye everyone have a nice That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Should we end it there? <laughs> we could.